Are you ready for the word? Amen. You may be seated. We welcome you today. Thank you for being here. Today I want to continue my sermon series called Christmas at the Movies. Christmas at the Movies. And I want to talk about Home Alone. Everybody say Home Alone. Home Alone. How many have seen the movie Home Alone before? I'm going to raise your hand real high. How many have seen the movie Home Alone before? Well, Home Alone is a Christmas comedy that came out in 1990. And since Home Alone was released, it had become the highest grossing live action comedy film of all times. Can you believe that? Because it was so successful, because the movie was so successful, it produced other sequels to the movie. And if I believe, I I think if I understand correctly, there was at least four other movies that was produced after Home Alone. So, but one of my favorite ones is the first one that was produced in 1990, uh, Home Alone number one. Uh, Now, when you look at this movie and you uh, listen to this movie, I want you to understand a few principles because I I believe that this movie has a lot of spiritual implication to it. If we can just open up our spiritual ears and hearts and see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Now, even though the movie is hilarious, there is some powerful, transforming uh, messages in this movie. And so that's what I want to do just for a few moments. I want you to look at this movie and I want to see what we can learn from this movie. Now, before I get into the movie, I want to give you a background about the movie. I want to give you a few things about the movie uh, to kind of recap what the movie is about. Kevin McAllister is an eight-year-old boy who is mistakenly left behind when his family decided to go to Paris for Christmas. And on the night... Uh, uh, the night before they leave, all of the McAllister family gathered at their house and they had a kind of a, a, a pre-Christmas celebration. They were all eating together, having a wonderful time. Well, if you've watched the movie, you'll see that Kevin McAllister got in an argument with his older brother, Buzz. And so they got in an argument there as they were eating pizza. And so um, Kevin's mother became aggravated at him. And so she sent Kevin to uh, the upstairs. I think it's the third floor. Send him to the floor, third floor for time out. So Kevin goes upstairs, and as he goes upstairs, he wishes that his family would just disappear because he's aggravated. He thinks that nobody cares for him, that nobody listens to him. He's aggravated himself, and so he just is on the third floor, and he just wishes that his family would just disappear. Well, he falls asleep, and so everybody else goes to sleep, and you know the movie. During the night, there was a windstorm, and the windstorm caused such a ruckus that it uh, threw out the power, and all of the alarm clocks in the house, of course, were not set. And so the family wakes up, they oversleep, and so they're rushing around the house trying to get everything together because they're leaving to go to Paris for Christmas. And so they're rushing around trying to get everything ready, and so... um, as they're rushing around and getting in the van and getting in the cars, of course, uh, they forget Kevin. And so a few hours later, Kevin wakes up and he walks downstairs and realizes nobody is home. Everybody's gone. Of course, Kevin begins to think, well, my wish came true. I, I, I wish that my family could disappear. And so he thought his wish really did come true. But Kevin soon realized that being home alone is really not what it's cracked up to be, is it? Being home alone is not what it's cracked up to be because Kevin encounters some wet bandits. He encounters some burglars that comes to the house. And through a series of events, 
And he engages with these burglars. And he finds out that these burglars are probably much more than he could ever handle. But eventually, you know the story. At the end of the story, his family comes home. They discover that they've uh, left him home alone. And so they rush back, especially his mother. They rush back and uh, to be home with Kevin during Christmas. And so he's reunited with his family, and he finds out that really Christmas is about not being home alone, but Christmas is about enjoying, enjoying your family and your friends and those who are close to you. That's what Christmas is about. And so uh, I wanted to recap the story because uh, from the story, I want to bring out some principles to you that I think is applicable to your life, that you could use for your life for not only this Christmas season, but also in the days to come. Now, what's the point of the movie? Now, the point of the movie is this. This is the point of the movie. The point of the movie is this. If you had to put it in one sentence, what is the point of the movie? Being home alone is not what it's cracked up to be. That's the point of the movie. Being home alone is not what it's cracked up to be. But what's the spiritual implication of the movie? The spiritual implication of the movie is this. It's, it's the feelings of loneliness and rejection sometimes can be a major issue in somebody's life. That's the spiritual implication, that being alone is not the best thing, that being isolated is not the best thing, that sometimes we feel isolated and lonely and rejected by people that we love. Now, I know that in the movie, his parents loved him, his family loved him, every family has arguments, every family has feelings that you feel isolated and rejected, we all feel that way. His family loved him, but he felt as though he was rejected, he felt as though he was isolated, he felt as though he was pushed to the side. And the spiritual implication of this movie is this, that sometimes during the seasons of our life, we feel rejected, we feel lonely, we feel isolated from people that we love. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I have felt that way from people that I love in my life? Would you raise your hand? I have felt isolated. I felt rejected. I felt lonely. Even by people, they say, they say that they love me. You know, Mother Teresa years ago made this statement, and I find it intriguing. She said this, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the wor worst kind of poverty. How many would raise your hand and agree with me that you would say that loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is probably the worst kind of poverty? And I would agree with Mother Teresa with that. And you know what, as I was thinking about this movie and thinking about how I could preach this movie and the principles that I could bring out of this movie, I, I begin to think about the Christmas season. And, you know, it's really hard, especially for some of us, it's hard for us to think that people could even feel unwanted and, and, and loved and rejected during the Christmas season. I mean, the Christmas season is the most wonderful time of the year. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's not the most wonderful time of the year for some people. In spite of all the festive parties, in spite of all the holiday parties, in spite of all the holiday greetings, in spite of all the giving of gifts, all the church services, many people are lonely, many people are crying, and many people are dying inside. Many people do not feel that this is the most wonderful time of the year. To some people, this is the most depressing, the most lonely, the most isolated, the most frustrating, the most aggravating, the most 
most disconnected and the most expensive time of the year. It's not the most wonderful time of the year for some people. You see, it's recorded that America America spends over $465 billion during the Christmas season. Let me just say it loud and clear, Christmas is not going anywhere. It is, it is a money-making machine in America, and not only in America, but around the world. It's expensive. To celebrate Christmas is expensive. We feel the pressure of Christmas. We feel the pressure. And sometimes we feel the pressure so much that we want to be isolated. We just want to close ourselves in and, and just skip Christmas. And did you know that sometimes, and I've, I've even felt this way, that sometimes you can be in a room with all kinds of people and at the same time feel alone. How many would raise your hand and agree with that? That you can be in a room full of people and at the same time feel alone. Isn't that interesting? There are 7 billion people in the world and some of us still feel lonely. We got texting, we got our iPhones, we got our apps, we got social media, we got YouTube, we got FaceTime, and all of that does not take care of the feelings of loneliness or the feelings of being connected or, or, or being close to someone. I, I, I would say this, that the reason why we text and the reason why we talk and the reason why we have social media and the reason that we do those things is because there is a feeling on the inside of us that we want to be connected to people, that there, there's this feeling that we want to be close to people, we want to be connected to people. And so we live in a society with all kinds of technology, but at the same time we feel disconnected. We feel isolated. We feel rejected, even by people that we love. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, even though we feel alone, there is still a desire for us to be connected. There is still a desire for us to be close to someone. Fifty-four times in the New Testament, there is a phrase that says, one another. Fifty-four times in the New Testament, it says, one another. Because the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a body. It's called to be a community. You were not called to be isolated. You were not called to do church by yourself. I do not understand Christians who think that they can serve Jesus without attending a church. You are, when you signed up, you signed up to be a part of his body. You were not called to be isolated from the body of Christ. You were called to be connected to the body. I know people get upset and people get aggravated and people aggravate you. And maybe you don't even like some of the things that the church does. But you're still called to be a part of the body of Christ because the body of Christ is his body, not your body and you're called to be a part of it. Amen. You're called to be a part of it. Well, you say, I don't like so-and-so. Well, I may not like so-and-so. But you see, people are used in your life as sandpaper. If everybody was like you, you would never grow. And sometimes you've got to have people that irritate you and aggravate you to be spiritual sandpaper in your life so that you can grow. Not everybody's going to see the same thing that you see. Not everybody's going to have the same perspective that you have. But you are called to be a part of the body of Christ. You are called to be a part of a community which is Jesus Christ, the community of faith. Some people are not having a Merry Christmas. They're having a Blue Christmas. How many remembers that song from Elvis Presley, The Blue, Blue Christmas? Let me, read a, let me read to you a verse of Blue Christmas. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue just thinking about you. Decorations of red on green Christmas tree won't be the same, dear, if you're not with me. You see, a blue Christmas. 
Now, you look at the wording of that song, there is a sense of, I want to be connected. I I want to be close to you. There's a sense of community. I don't want to do life without you. Because within each of us, ladies and gentlemen, within each of us, my friends, there is a desire to be connected. There is a desire to have community. There is a desire to be in relationship with someone. There is a desire to be a part of something bigger than yourselves. So some people are not having a Merry Christmas. They're actually having a Blue Christmas. You see, God created you for a relationship. He created you for community. And if that is true, then why do some people feel alone? If people, if God created us to be uh, close and God's created us for connection, why do we feel so alone? And any time we use the word intimacy, we think of sex. But you see, that's how we're perverted, perverted in America. Intimacy has nothing to do with sex. Intimacy has to do with closeness. Intimacy has to do with community. Intimacy has to do with letting down our walls. Now that could lead to other things, but God has called us to be in a community that could be intimate with one another, that could let down our walls and confess our sins to one another, to be accountable to one another, to walk hand in hand with one another. And we are not used to that because we want to put walls up and we don't want to share our life with anyone. We don't want to open up to anyone because we're afraid that somebody's going to judge us or somebody's going to think uh, something different of us. And so we don't understand the concept of community. We think community is this, coming to church, having a Christmas dinner, having a few laughs, giving a high five to my bro and going home. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not community. That's just eating together. Some of us come to church and we leave early. Some of us come and we leave. We don't get connected. We don't shake nobody's hands. We don't want to talk to nobody. We don't put the walls up. And so therefore we go throughout our whole life not understanding what biblical community really is. Because we put too many walls up. We don't know how to communicate with people. We get defensive with people. Somebody, we don't know how to, what it means to grow. We don't know what it means to discuss our weaknesses. And God has called us as a family. This is a family This is a family. As a matter of fact, I would even say this. This is an eternal family. We're going to live on forever together in eternity. Some of your family members may not make it to heaven. But this family will make it to heaven because we are the body of Christ. We've been engrafted into the body of Christ. We have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are the We are the church, the body of Christ, the eternal family of God that will live on for eternity. And so that's why I don't understand when we don't want to live in community. We don't want to fellowship with one another. We want to put the walls up. God has called us to live in communities, called us to be in relationship. There are four words that's very important in the Bible. Relationships, 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 relationships. And any time that you read the Bible, any time that God promoted somebody, he always brought somebody into their life. It was a relationship that caused the person to be promoted. Or it was a relationship that caused the person to be demoted. It was a relationship that caused a transition in their life because God is partnering with people. He, we are co-labors together with God. And the most important thing that we can invest in is relationships. 
I know that we love our buildings and we love this and we love that, but the most important thing that we can invest in is relationships. And do you know why? Because that person has the potential to live on forever somewhere. Can I hear an amen? So you don't know who we're going to touch this weekend. And that's why when you bring your gifts and you bring your shoes and you bring your toys, you're just not doing it just because it's Christmas. We are investing into a generation. We are sharing the love of Jesus with somebody. We are being the hands and feet to somebody. Can I hear an amen? Loneliness. Loneliness. Rejection is is a major problem, especially during the Christmas season. You see... I believe that we have to have the right perspective about loneliness. Being alone and being lonely, you know, is two separate things. Being alone and being lonely is two separate things. In other words, one can be alone without being lonely. And the other one can be lonely in a crowded room. So being alone and being lonely is two separate things. You see, loneliness, what is loneliness? Loneliness is a state of mind. It's a state of mind. It's an emotion. It's brought on by an emotion, by feelings of separation or rejection by other people. That's what loneliness is. It's a state of mind, and it's an emotion caused by the feeling that I have felt rejected or I've, I feel separated from people that I love or that I like or that I, or, or that I want approval from. You see, many times in the Bible, people experience loneliness. Many people experience loneliness, and for the sake of time, I can't read all of them. I'm just going to read a few people that experience loneliness. Number one, what about uh, David? The Bible says in Psalm chapter 13, verse number one, and I quote, O Lord, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Do you see how David is feeling lonely here? He says, how long, O Lord? How, how will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You, you sense this rejection, this loneliness, this feeling, this state of mind that David is, finds himself in. David also says in Psalm chapter 25 and verse number 16, he says this, Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. One translation says it this, For I am lonely and afflicted. You see, David is experiencing this loneliness, this state of feeling that he feels rejected by God. He feels rejected by people that he loves. Now, that may not be true, but feelings are real to those who are experiencing it. The Bible also says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, you see, Timothy, or Paul, excuse me, had this feeling. He had a feeling of feeling rejected. He had a feeling of feeling lonely. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 16, and I quote, Paul said it like this, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may it not be charged against them. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? He says, I don't want people, I don't want to have to, I don't want people to have to pay for what they did to me. Everybody forsook me, everybody left me, but I don't want people to pay for what they did. I forgive them. But do you sense the loneliness in that scripture, that, that feeling of rejection? He he felt rejected, he felt lonely, he felt isolated. Everybody left him. The Bible also says in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 46, Jesus, Jesus himself felt lonely. Jesus himself felt rejected. And I quote, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He cried out with a loud voice saying, 
Eli, Eli, Lemana, Sabathana, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, dying on the cross, feeling rejected and feeling lonely from people he loved. His own disciples, the twelve disciples that he invested himself into, only one of them came at the foot of the cross. All of them left him. All of them rejected him. They left him. They were in fear. They were hiding. They were cowards. And even he felt rejected by God. See, rejection and loneliness are, it's, it's real. It, and, and we can tell people to grow up. We can tell people to stop it. We can tell people to read a book. We can tell people to come to the altar and pray. But ladies and gentlemen, those feelings are real. They're real to you. And if they're real to you, then we need to sympathize with people. We need to be there for people. And I promise you that some of the, 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 some of the greatest things that you can do for someone is not get a Bible scripture out and not to thump them over the head with a Bible scripture. Some of the greatest things that you can do is just sit there and listen to their heart and be there for someone. Can I hear an amen? Sometimes, and you listen, I, I have been in situations where I felt crushed and hurt and I was pouring my heart out to someone and guess what? Now, not all the time, but occasions I've had people want to trump my story, you know. I'm telling them how bad I'm hurt and how, what I'm going through and guess what they'll do? They'll say, well, you know, I remember three years ago and I remember what so-and-so did to me and, they, and you feel as though they want to trump your story and tell you how bad their story is. Just take it from me. Don't do that. Please don't do that. If you're going to sit there and listen to someone, don't feel the need to try to trump their story because the conversation isn't about you. And I really, I really believe this. I really believe this. That if we would just practice listening to people, if we would just practice being good listeners, if, if we would just practice being good listeners, then, then I, I know that that could bring a breakthrough in people's lives. If we can just be a good listener. And sometimes people don't know what, they don't know what it means to be a good listener. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and their eyes are rolling back and forth and you're like, are you even listening to anything I'm saying? Are you all with me this morning? I think Christians are some of the worst listeners that there is, really. I've dealt with, I've been a pastor 17 years, and it's amazing how people just don't listen. They just don't listen. You, know, you talk to them, and their mind is so distracted. I mean, it's like, I mean, it, it's a miracle to preach a sermon on Sunday morning without people not getting on Facebook. It's a miracle. It's a miracle for people to sit here and just listen because we become so distracted by the world. We're so preoccupied about what to eat after church and what so-and-so said and what they did to this. We're looking at the lights, so preoccupied. It is an act of God for the preacher to preach on Sunday morning nowadays, especially in the year 2019. It's a very act of God. And if we could sit there for 40 minutes and listen and articulate what the sermon is when we leave, then I promise you, you have had a breakthrough. But we leave church and we don't even know what the preacher preached on. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. What did he preach on? I, I don't know. It, it was good. 
we just let it go in one ear and out the other and it just, there's no, it doesn't take, and I'm not saying you in particular, but I'm saying in my pastoral experience, you see a lot of distraction and it's biblical because the book of Amos says in the last days, there is going to be a famine of not preaching the word, but the hearing of the word. The prophet said it, that in the last days, there would be a famine of not preaching the word, because there's lots of preaching going on, there's lots of churches, there's lots of books being written, there's, there's lots of TV preachers and radio preachers, there's lots of preachers, but there's very little hearing of the word, because we're so distracted. And that's what the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 4, that the Word is the seed of God, and it goes forth, and there's different types of soils that would receive the Word of God. And Jesus said that the heart that receives the seed, the heart that receives the seed, receives it, will bear fruit 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. So really, if you are bearing fruit in your life, it's really dependent on how you are hearing the Word and how you are applying it to your, to, your, to your life. I am tired of us highlighting Scriptures in the Bible and not memorizing the Scriptures in our heart. Let's quit, let's quit highlighting it and get it in your heart. We highlight Scriptures, we take notes, but is it really being activated in your life. I am not impressed by your journal of all the notes that you take. Thank God if you take notes. I encourage you to do it. But I'm not impressed by that. I'm impressed if you take what you write and write it on the tablets of your heart. That's what I'm impressed about. Are you taking what you are learning and applying it to your life? Is it being activated in your life? Are you doing what you're hearing? Is, is, is there hard conversations that you are having about your life with your family? How can we grow? How can we go to the next level? What must I do that I could be better this year than what I was last year? And the hard question sometimes is not what we want to do, but it's necessary. Why do we feel so alone? If God has created us in community, if God has created us to be together, then why do we feel so alone? I believe we feel so alone because we lie to ourselves. We don't have the right perspective about loneliness. And I want to discuss very quickly four lies to you that we tell ourselves about loneliness. Number one, number one, the first lie that we tell ourselves is that I am alone. We tell ourselves that loneliness means I'm alone. If I feel lonely, it means that nobody cares, that nobody understands. But the truth of the matter is, is that loneliness strips away the external comfort of those around me, and it drives me to find comfort in Jesus. You see, loneliness is not bad. I know that we speak of loneliness as if it's bad, and we, we say it's taboo, but loneliness is not bad. There is a loneliness that can drive us to Jesus. Lie number one is loneliness means I'm alone. And the truth of the matter is, is that loneliness strips away the external comfort of those around me and it drives me to find comfort in Jesus. Yes, there are times that you will feel lonely. There are times that you will feel people, you, you will feel that people has rejected you. You will feel as though nobody loves you. But one of the things I have to, that you have to understand is that you can't believe everything you think. And your feelings are not factual. 
You can't believe everything you think because your feelings are not factual. Is your feelings real? Of course your feelings are real. Do they affect your emotions? Of course they do. But it doesn't mean that your feelings are factual. It doesn't mean that you got the right information. It doesn't mean that you have the right information. And sometimes we got wrong perspectives. We got wrong views. We've been given the wrong information. And so therefore we create our own story in our mind. And when we create our own story, we come up with our own conclusions, which brings about emotions, and those emotions control us. So not everything you think is right. And it's amazing that when people get offended... They think they're right. Well, let me just break it down to you. Just because you're offended don't mean you're right. doesn't mean you're right because you're offended. Sometimes you get wrong information. Loneliness strips away the external. Is loneliness good? Of course loneliness is good. Sometimes God will put you in situations where you feel lonely. We don't like loneliness because we want, to be, we want to be busy. We want the hustle, want the bustle. We always got to have music on. We got to have the TV going. There always has to be noise. We don't want to be alone. I always have to have somebody in our presence. We become so insecure with our loneliness. Always got to have somebody. Always got to have the phone. Always got to check this. Always got to do this. Always got to be... We, we, because we don't understand the right perspective about loneliness. Sometimes loneliness is good. Sometimes it is. And how do I know that? Because when we feel lonely, what God is trying to do is to grow us and strip away the external comfort of those around us so that we can find true comfort in Jesus. Does God want you to have the comfort of those around you? Yes. But most importantly, He wants you to find comfort in Him first. Does He want you to be in relationships with people? Yes. Are you supposed to be in relationship with people? Yes. Good, healthy. It's not, it's not the quantity of relationships. It's the quality of relationships. Sometimes we want a bunch of people around us. Sometimes it's just the quality of relationships. What does loneliness do? Loneliness removes the external comfort of those around us. And the Lord moves us into two directions. Number one, He either moves us when we are lonely, He either moves us to an intimacy with Him, or number two, He, he, he unveils an unrepented heart within us. There's two things. When you're lonely, the loneliness will reveal two things. It, either will, it will either take you deeper in an intimacy with Jesus, or it will reveal an unrepented heart. Two things. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 3, listen to the Apostle Paul, he speaks of the church of Jesus. He said, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all, uh, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. He says, this God is the God of all comfort. In other words, we should go to Him to experience comfort. Number two, what is the lie that we tell ourselves? We tell ourselves, number two, that nobody understands. That sometimes the reason that we are lonely is that we tell ourselves nobody understands. The lie is this I am the only one that suffered like this, and nobody will ever understand my pain. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever lied to yourself and says, nobody understands me, nobody understands the pain that I'm in, nobody understands the road that I've got to walk in? I've talked to people before and they said, oh, pastor, if you can just understand the hell I've been through. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Their hell is always bigger than your hell. They got more financial stress than you got, you know. They got more stress than you got, you know. We always want to compare our troubles. Nobody understands what I've been through. But the truth of the matter is, this is the truth to the lie. The truth is that Christ will not ask me to suffer anything that he himself has not suffered. And many who have gone before me have endured similar or harder roads than I have. You're not the only one that's suffered. You're not the only one that's been sick. You're not the only one that's been depressed. You're not the only one that's been lonely. You're not the only one that's been at the bottom of the bear. There has been other people that's went before you as a matter of fact, who has went before you thousands of years before you, and God has been faithful to them, God has brought them through, and if God has brought them through, then what makes you think that God don't understand where you're at and God can't bring you through? Can somebody say amen? So don't, don't be held captive by the lie that nobody understands you. That nobody understands the road that you went through. And the, nobody understands the suffering that you went through. There's, been, there's 7 billion people in the world. I'm sure somebody has suffered more greatly than you have. So if they can make it, you can make it. You see, if the enemy can make us believe that there is truly nobody that understands us, then guess what happens? If the enemy can convince you that nobody understands and nobody's went through what you went through, then guess what happens? You will be tempted to shut out everybody and those around you and you will put walls up and you will refuse to receive comfort and encouragement from anyone. You will develop a heart that is bitter. You get bitter towards the church. You get bitter towards your neighbors. You get bitter towards your family because they don't give to you what you desire. They don't give the sympathy to you. They don't give you the attention that you desire because you're sitting there moping and groaning. I am in hell. Uh, nobody understands what I'm going through. They don't have to face what I face. And so therefore you get walls built up in your life and you get bitterness being built up in your life because you want them to sympathize with you and acknowledge what you're going through. And let me just break it down. Some people will never do that. And you've got to move on in your life when you don't have the closure that you desire that you need. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse number 5, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the, the same church. He says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. You know what Paul is saying? Paul said this. He said, he said go back to verse number 5. He said, he said if, if my suffering, if I'm suffering with Christ, he said, I'm also, I'm also comforted in Christ. And why am I comforted in Christ? Look at verse number 6. He goes on to say, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. See, we don't want to talk about Christian suffering. But listen, suffering is a biblical thing. You will suffer in life. You will face tribulation. You will face suffering. He says, if you are afflicted, 
It is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which you also suffer. And if you are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In other words, Paul was saying, you're going to suffer. You can't get around that. But allow your suffering to grow you. Change your perception about what you're going through. Don't look at your suffering as though God is against you and God is out to get you. But join in with your suffering and allow it to grow you to the place where you can be a comfort and encouragement to somebody else. Hallelujah! You're called to be the hands. You're called to be the feet of Jesus. I know you're hurt. Some of you are hurt this morning. Some of you feel broken this morning. Some of you feel lonely this morning. You're crying out and you're saying, Pastor, what am I to do? I'm going to tell you the secret in what you need to do. God has called you to serve even when you're hurt. God has called you to be the hands of Jesus even when people have withdrawn their hand from you. He's called you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's what happens when we get hurt and when we feel lonely and we feel isolated. We want to give up on the church, leave the church, and have a pity party. But God is calling this church and God is calling somebody. It's time to raise up to a new level of growth. God wants you to serve greater. Serve in your heart. Because people are not going to come along and acknowledge what you want what you need to be... No, people are not going to be there like you think people are going to be there for you. I wish people were. I wish I could. But I'm not God. I don't know all your troubles. I don't know your feelings. I don't know what you're going through. That is why you've got to have a greater power. It's good when somebody tells you they love you and they're praying for you. It's good. That's when the church should be the church. The church should comfort one another. The church should wrap its arms around one another. The church should walk together with one another. We should be an encouragement to one another. We should be there for one another. But there are times that that don't happen. And sometimes if it does happen, it may not meet your expectation. Number three, God must not be loving. The reason I feel so alone is that God is not loving. The lie is this, a loving God wouldn't make me to take such a lonely road. If He really loved me, He would provide support and encouragement to me. God is not loving because I feel so alone. But the truth of the matter is, church, the truth is, a loving God sent His own Son down the loneliest road ever known to man so that I would never have to walk alone again. God is still loving. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 3, Hebrews 12, verse 3, listen to what the Bible says, For consider Him, who? Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Consider Jesus. Jesus was a man just like you are. And Jesus experienced hostility. He experienced suffering. He experienced betrayal. He experienced, he experienced all kinds of things from people who said they loved Him. And yet, He still made it. Consider Jesus. He says, 
the writer of Hebrews says, don't get discouraged in your souls. Don't get weary. I know you get weary. I know you get discouraged. But if Jesus made it down the long road carrying the cross and God was with him, then ladies and gentlemen, the same God that was with Jesus is the same God that will be with you to the very end. Hallelujah. Consider Jesus. God was with Jesus to the very end, and God will be with you to the very end. Jesus himself walked a lonely road. And if Jesus walked a lonely road, you and I, ladies and gentlemen, might have to walk a lonely road. But God will be with us to the very end. And in closing today, number four, the fourth lie is, I don't have enough faith. The reason I feel so lonely is I don't have enough faith. Well, that's a lie. I feel alone because I don't have enough faith. The truth of the matter is, the truth is, holding fast to Jesus despite loneliness proclaims to those around us that He is worth the lonely path I walk. Hallelujah. Holding fast to Jesus despite the loneliness that I feel proclaims to those around me that Jesus is worth the lonely path I walk. And I want to say this and say it loud and clear that the writer says in the gospel, the writer says in the epistles, he says, he says, your present suffering doesn't compare to the glory that awaits you. I said, your present suffering doesn't compare to the glory that awaits you. I don't want to let you know, I don't mean to preach today, but I want you to know that Jesus is worth every heartache. Jesus is worth every sickness. Jesus is worth every temptation. Jesus is worth every obstacle. Jesus is worth every trial. Jesus is worth every problem. Jesus is worth every hindrance. Jesus is worth everything I could ever go through. He's worth it. I may feel lonely. I may feel forsaken. I may feel rejected. But if God was with Jesus, he'll be with me to the very end. Remain standing, he'll be with me. It's not an issue that you don't have faith. You're here today because you have faith. You got up and got dressed and came to church because you have faith. Sometimes... We just need to acknowledge, Pastor, I'm hurting. I feel lonely. I feel rejected. I don't know what to do, Pastor. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to admit our problems. Let's just be honest and admit it. I want to give this truth to you. Loneliness is not hopelessness. Loneliness is not hopelessness. Just because you feel lonely doesn't mean you're hopeless. Hallelujah. In the movie Home Alone, it wasn't cracked up to be all that it was to be. Being alone isn't not what it's cracked up to be. But you know what I learned in this movie? It taught that little boy, Kevin, to be strong against the enemy. It taught Kevin to develop strategies against the enemy. It taught Kevin to be creative against the enemy. It taught Kevin to know how to fight against the enemy. And sometimes God will put you in a lonely situation so that he can bring you down to a place of prayer, so that he can bring you down to a place of consecration. He can bring you down to a place where you get a hold of God and you find your strength not in your spouse, not in your kids, but you find your strength in God alone. Home alone.
alone. That man was, that little boy was home alone, even though it wasn't cracked up to be all that it was supposed to be. But it taught him how to fight against the enemy. You may feel alone today, but use your loneliness as a season of growth to learn how to strategize against the enemy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. God said to Moses, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 31, He says to Moses, very clear, very clear. He says, I'm going to be with you always until the very end, Moses. I'm going to be with you always to the very end. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you. He will not destroy you. He will not forget the covenant that He swore to His fathers. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, the Bible says this. He says for Deuteronomy chapter number 31 verse number 6, be strong, be good, courageous, do not fear, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is the one that goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20, verse number 20, listen to the words of Jesus. He said this, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I am with you always, even until the end. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse number 16, Jesus said to his disciples, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And that is why we can raise our hands, and we can declare with everything that's within me, that every time I fall, he's going to lift me up. Every time I mess up, he's going to forgive me. Every time I'm weak, he is my strength. When I'm stumble, He steadies me. When I'm hurt, He heals me. When I'm broken, He mends me. When I'm blind, He leads me. When I'm hungry, He feeds me. When I face trials, He's with me. When I face persecution, He brings me out. When I face loss, He provides for me. When I face death, He carries me to my home. He is my everything. He is my everything. He is the lily of the valley. He is my all in all. He's the water that never runs. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Hallelujah. I'm telling you today, there's no reason for you to be discouraged. Reason for you to hang your head down low. He is with you. It's not home alone. It's never alone. I'm never home alone. He's always with me to the very end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.